Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We are continuing our series called Roadmap. Pastor Chad kicked this off last week. Um, how many of you know that um, we have to take the right roads? We have to take certain paths for us to arrive at the destination that God wants us to. Life experiences shape us and uh, different trials shape us. The wins in life, the, the losses in life, the victories, all of that shapes us and it shapes our future. And it's not, it's not because of what happens, but rather how we handle what happens. Because we know the Bible tells us, hey, we're going to face things. Things are going to come up in our lives. But it's how we handle those situations. How many of you can recall a time in your life where you were in what I would call an emotionally charged situation? Have you heard this term before? An emotionally charged situation. If you're not sure what that is, let me tell you. An emotionally charged situation is a situation between two or more people that's likely to cause an emotional reaction. The most common type that what comes to mind would be between a husband and a wife. Good or bad, we hope they're all good, but sometimes it's bad. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, spouses in the room uh, have faced an emotionally charged situation with your spouse. It could be a good thing. Um, maybe it was the moment of your first kiss. Can you recall the first time you kissed your spouse? Come on, we're going to get real today. I need you to be with me. Come on, are you with me? Do you recall? <laughs> Thank you for the one or two. <laughs> Some, <laughs> you're getting elbows. You don't remember that. <laughs> so you may, maybe it was the first kiss. I can remember it the exact time and place when I kissed Rochelle for the first time. Um, it was at my grandpa's pool under the gazebo. I'll never forget it. Donnie, sorry, I'm just telling you right now. Uh, I was 14 and I think she was 13. I'm just being honest with you. And since I'm on that subject, Rochelle and I... We're married on Valentine's Day. We just celebrated 22 years of marriage on Friday. Maybe it was the moment that you proposed, possibly. I can remember where I proposed and when that was. That was an emotionally charged situation. Maybe it was the moment that you said, I do, or that you kissed at your wedding. Maybe it was the moment that followed uh, later won't get into that. That was definitely an emotionally charged situation, no doubt. Maybe you can recall a time in your life that you landed the big account at work. And it emotionally charged you. Maybe it was when your son scored a touchdown. Or when your daughter made the winning basket. My most recently emotionally charged situation came on February 2nd when my Kansas City Chiefs held the Lombardi Trophy over their head and claimed Super Bowl 54. I was going to show a video of that. Um, if you didn't see it, 
look at Cameron's Facebook page, it's on there. That was an emotionally charged situation. Maybe you can recall one that wasn't so good. Maybe you had a fight with your spouse or maybe one of your kids. A disagreement with a coworker. Some of us tend to lose it on Facebook sometimes. We tend to go off the rails there. We become emotionally charged and we feel the need to voice it publicly. And so people begin to comment. And let me tell you something. Nothing good usually comes of it. I get emotionally charged in a bad way. Some of you know this. I think I've talked about it before. When I'm driving, I have a problem. And I'm working on it. My family will say amen to this. But I get worked up when I'm driving because people do not know how to drive correctly. I had, let me, let, let's just talk for a second. I had, I had somebody just this week do a U-turn, not at an intersection, in the middle of Elm Street, just right out, I don't even know where I'm at here, right in the middle of Elm Street. Some people don't feel like the rules apply to them. And I'm, tr I'm pulling out, and this person does a U-turn in the middle of the road. And that, I got worked up over that. I'm, I'm just like, how, I mean, have you ever driven a car before, ma'am? Seriously? What, what are you doing? What is happening here? If you're, since we're on the subject, this is a teaching moment here. This is very biblical. All right, if you have an intersection, this is something different, and there is, the, this, this intersection comes to mind, Lynn going across Heinz to get to Walmart, that's where we all go, right? All right, there's two lanes. One lane goes straight, and it's the left-hand turn lane, I'm, I'm, so I'm facing Walgreens, and then the other lane turns right. That's how you get across Heinz to get to Walmart. If I'm there first, don't pull up beside me to where I can't see to go. I'm there first. I have the rights to that. Don't pull up. If you pull up here, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull up to where you can't see. I have a problem. I know it. And I'm working on it. That's just... As my grandpa would say, have some common horse sense when you drive. That's what he would always say. Sorry, I went off on a rant there a little bit. God's working on me. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. How many of you, how many of you can go off the rails pretty easily when a situation comes up, good or bad? How many of you to maybe tend to have an, emo you have an emotional response when something like that? Jesus got fired up one time. Um, it's actually in all four Gospels, all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and he gets fired up um, when he walks into the temple courts and there's merchants there, and they're actually selling their goods and trading and there's livestock and there's all kinds of produce. I'll, I'll read it to you. It's in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. G, uh, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts 
he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords. Man, he was, he was mad. He made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins uh, of the money changers and overturned. He flipped their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus came in with a whip. He flipped their tables over, and he says, this is a house of prayer. This makes me second guess whether we should do rummage sale here at church ever again. I don't it's just a joke. Even Jesus became emotionally charged, but for the right reasons. How many of you know that sometimes we allow ourselves to be ruled by what we feel instead of our faith? I know I do. We sometimes let our emotions guide us instead of letting our faith guide us. A faith that has spoken a new life into us. It's changed us. It's transformed us. It's called us, this faith's called us to live differently. It's called us to be humble. It's, it's called us to trust God in His ways. Today we're going to look at a story from the Bible where there was a, a, a major emotionally charged situation. Hopefully we can learn from this, apply it to our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 24, if you have your Bibles with you. Check us out on version. If you don't have your Bible, you download the Bible app on your smartphone, and then you can search under events, and up will pop Destiny Church. And we have all the scriptures, the notes, the points. It's all right there if you would like to follow along with that. 1 Samuel 24. And just to kind of set the scene, this point in the story, the nation of Israel is kind of on the verge of being divided. Saul is the king. But David has been anointed to be king, and he is the more popular one. He was the people's choice, if you will. Saul was jealous. He allowed his emotions to blind his judgment. He lost uh, God's favor. He lost the confidence of the people. The health of the entire kingdom was just kind of in limbo. Scripture tells us that Saul was actually afraid of David because the Lord was with him. And in those days when your competition is, ad is advancing, you did one of three things. You kept them close, you slandered them, or you killed them. And so Saul decided to bring David close. He brought David close to him. He gave him Michael, his daughter, as his wife. He married Michael, but it was for all the wrong reasons. He gave him a high position in his army, hoping that that would backfire on him, maybe that it would be too much and, and that he would fail. David was advancing. He's what nowadays we would call a mover and a shaker. He was, he was just advancing. He was the young talent, and he was chosen. He had killed Goliath, and when he did that, he automatically won the hearts of the people because he saved Israel. He was anointed by Samuel to be the next king. He was chosen. He was an officer, and he led Israel to numerous victories. 
And so now he can add high-ranking officer to his already impressive resume of shepherd, of giant killer, of musician, of poet, anointed, God-fearing, good-looking, the Bible says. There's so few of us left out there. You guys don't get my dry humor, do you? Saul had enough of keeping David close, so then he started, he, he tried to kill him. He was jealous, he was angry. And Saul begins to think, he begins to play this, well, what about me? What about all that I've done for Israel? What about my time, my tears, my, the blood I've shed, all the times that I've risked my life? What about me? How many times has an emotionally charged situation resulted in us coming to the end and say, what about me, God? Have you forgotten about me? All my hard work, my efforts, my time. And if we allow emotion to cloud our judgment, and like Saul, we lose sight of the plot of the, of the story God is trying to tell us, is trying to teach us. I want to read this story to you, 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Saul was fighting the Philistines. And he took a break because he heard that David was close. And I want to pause here and I want, to, I want to ask you a question. How many times have you taken your eye off the enemy to fight someone close to you? Let me ask it this way. How often are you in an emotionally charged situation with someone and then the real enemy blindsides you. This is exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to turn your attention off of him. That's why he uses people closest to us to distract us. Verse 3, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, I don't even know what that word means, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Sometimes you just got to go. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now, your, now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Put yourself in that cave. Now's your chance. Today the Lord is telling you, this is his men, today, David, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And Saul's robe defined who, who he was. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut the king's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord and King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself had chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. This, 
this shows so much about David's character. I wonder wonder how David's life would have played out if he would have killed Saul in that cave. I don't know. Maybe it would have been the same. Maybe not. I, I, I just, I, I wonder, how, how, how would his life, everything that happens after this in David's life, I wonder how it would have played out had he killed Saul in that cave. Have you ever thought about a time in your life that, a, a def, that you made a defining moment decision that you knew would forever alter the course of your life? See, David shows incredible character right here. He's even upset that he even cut the robe of Saul. Continuing, verse 7, after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, verse 8, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of... Of the, of, of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, and that I'm not sinned against you, even though you've been trying to kill me. May the Lord judge us, and perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure that I will never harm you. And the verse continues, said Saul wept, he was upset, he's like, you're right. And we know that Saul still dealt with some stuff after that. But the thing I want you to get today is David is a fugitive running and hiding He walked in the cave as a fugitive, but he walked out as a king. He wasn't quite anointed yet, or he was anointed, but he he hadn't been uh, proclaimed king yet. But he showed great character. And for years he escaped Saul and his men. David's men tell him, it's God's will. We've been waiting for this very moment. They even go as far as they start quoting the word. They quote God's word and promises. It's what we've been praying for. It's the answer. Look what God has done. All of our troubles will be gone. Reach out and take what is yours. The life of the one keeping you from your destiny is right in front of you. In Saul's life, become who you were called to be. But you see, David's men were allowing their emotions to guide them and not their faith. David's men were allowing an emotionally charged situation to get the best of them. 
And David has the opportunity. He sneaks up behind Saul. All he had to do was reach up with a knife and end it. The throne was rightfully his. I mean, it was going to be his. It was going to be his. God had appointed him. Saul had anointed, or I'm sorry, Samuel had anointed him. He had the public on his side. The roadmap was clear. Here's where you go. Here's what you do. It was clear. His friends have his back. But I want you to know something today. Just because you're moving in your faith doesn't mean your friends are. Just because someone attaches a Bible verse to it doesn't make it good counsel. Just because you hear a godly principle doesn't make it godly wisdom. Just because the roadmap seems obvious doesn't make it wise. Are you with me today? Because what is plain isn't always the plan. Just because it's the right thing, listen to me, just because it's the right thing doesn't mean it's the best thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, Paul says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. How many of you know that God's ways, God's most foolish ways, are so much wiser than our greatest idea that we've ever had in our entire life? And so David, ignoring his friends, ignoring what seems obvious, and instead of taking Saul's life, David used this moment to honor God, to remind everyone that Saul is still the king. You see, this moment wasn't as much about Saul as king. In fact, this moment really, I don't think, was about Saul at all. If God wanted David to be in command in that moment, he would have done it. If God wanted David to be in command a year before that, he would have done it. If God wanted David to inherit everything that he had already spoken through Samuel, it would have already happened. This moment was about trusting God is still in control, even in the middle of the chaos. Even as you're navigating through your own personal roadmap. And you feel like maybe you should have been promoted already. You feel like maybe you should have already received your healing. You feel like things in your life should have already shifted in your favor. Whatever it is that you've been praying for, believing for, or maybe God has even whispered to you, maybe years ago, listen to me, the moment that you are in right now is about trusting God that has control over it, even through the chaos in your moment right now. Where David could have destroyed his enemy, he chose the best thing over the right thing. It's like David is saying, I, I know, just put yourself in David's shoes. I know the road map will eventually lead to this position as the king, because you've spoken that to me. How many of you know the waiting game is the hardest game to play in life? Yeah, it's pretty tough. I don't want it like this. Not like this, David says. I don't, want, I don't want to be the king like this. 
Not under the, not under, not, not an under the table deal. I don't want an asterisk next to my name. Even though killing Saul seemed like the easiest path to the throne, David knew that he could not kill God's king. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. David's desire to obey God was greater than his desire to destroy Saul. Let me say, let me ask you this question off of that right there. I wonder today, is your desire to obey God greater than your desire to get even? David walked into that cave as a fugitive, but he walked out of that cave as a king. Saul admits, you're more righteous than I am. You've treated me well, even when I haven't given you the same. Saul even believes the Lord delivered his life into the hands of David. He says, the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. Which means, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. The right things aren't always the best things. Another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul writes, he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean you should. David's restraint showed his allegiance to the law of God. It wasn't about a title to David. It was about his faith. Have you ever had a promise from God or a dream from God that you had to trust it would just happen at the right time? Those are the hardest ones, aren't they? It's going to happen at the right time. God, I know you've given me this promise. I know you have spoken this word. Help me to trust that it's going to happen at the right time. Today, before I wrap up, I want to give you three things that David learned that I think we could use very simple in our road trip, on our road map that we are going down in our life. Number one, David really learned and used, number one, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God grew inside of David. It wasn't something he received all at once when he needed it. David didn't throw up this Hail Mary pass prayer and hope God rescued him. Remember, before he was a fugitive, a soldier, a musician, a giant slayer, before all of that, David was a shepherd tending his father's sheep. And while he was tending his father's sheep, he was spending time in God's presence. So David didn't go on the run from Saul hoping the Lord would be near. David wasn't confident, he wasn't confident because the road map wasn't clear. He was on the run. He was a wanted man. David wasn't confident because the path was clear. He was confident because he knew 
what God had promised him. And, because, and he knew what God has promised him because he had spent time in his presence. And there in God's presence is God's wisdom. If you don't get anything I say today, in God's presence lies God's wisdom. David knew it was just a matter of time. And so he chose to trust God and to rely on the wisdom that God gave him. Number two, David learned and used the principles of God. He quotes a principle of God in 1 Samuel 24, 13. He says, as the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. This proverb teaches that wicked acts come from wicked people. David is saying, if, if I were wicked like you, Saul, you would be dead. David is saying, I am not going to stoop to that level. I'm not going to be like you. That's not the kind of person or that's not the kind of king that I want to be. When we're faced with an emotionally charged situation, God helps us to be the bigger person. Help us, God help us to be more Christ-like. Help us to always filter every situation through your word. Because we know how many of you know that God's word does not return void? There is nothing in God's word that will return void. God, help us to trust you and lean not on our own understanding. He learned the principles of God. And number three, this is the last point I want to talk about today. David used and learned the law of God. The wisdom of God, the principles, and the law of God. First Samuel 24.10 It says, This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And he said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. David knew that murder or sin was not part of God's plan. David realized that all his popularity was from God, and he trusted that God would protect him and give him the throne at the right time. And so how do we apply this? I think in this day and age, and, and, and I'm talking here, he chose not to kill him, he chose not to murder I'm using this, he chose not to sin. I think in this day and age, as Christians, we like to toe the line. You ever see that more and more? We kind of toe the line. We like to get as close as we can to that line of sin, but still say, I didn't cross the line. You with me today? Do you, do you, do you see that? Is it just me? You know, there's a, I, I think there is a, a, a defined line 
that if we cross, it is considered sin. I believe that there's gray areas in the Bible. I do believe that. I believe there's some things for you might not be sin that for me I just don't like or whatever. And that doesn't make me right and you wrong and vice versa. But there are some things in the Bible that are very clear cut that says this is sin. This is something that we steer clear of. And I think sometimes as Christians we like to get as close to the edge as we can. But here's what I know about the edge. Usually the ground is not real solid. If you walk up to, if you walk, you know, Cole and I like to hunt and there's a lot of bluffs where we hunt. And if you walk out to the edge of some of those, the rocks are a little, I'm not going to step there. So it's not quite solid, so I kind of stay back a little bit because <laughs> I'm scared of heights. I'm scared to death of heights. But I know that when you get here and the ground is not quite as sure, it doesn't take very much to push or to take you on over. And so what I think, I think it's important that we actually maybe stay back a few steps because if we do actually fail because we're human, I'm still good. Does that make sense? Does that, do, you, do you understand that today? Quit, quit going up to the line and flirting with the line and trying to get right up to it. Let's have some standards. Let's, 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 let's live. The Bible tells us that we're actually to be set apart. So that doesn't, set apart doesn't mean we're just going to toe the line. It means we're actually going to set some standards actually back here. That if we do fail, if we do act human, that we're still good. Set some standards in your life. There are times that David crossed the line. Later in his life, you can read all about him. He knew it. But David was always remorseful and he always repented. You know, when Jesus was at the end of his life, he was faced with an emotionally charged situation several times. He was betrayed by a few friends. Actually, a lot of people, but he was betrayed by some close friends. The law refused to listen to him. It actually questioned him and argued with him. And eventually, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross, and he was executed. Have you ever thought about how Jesus never fought back? He never fought back. He didn't, he didn't try to defend himself because he knew what God had spoken to him. He knew what his father had said. There was a plan in place. Therefore, he did not want to interfere with that plan. The plan was he was the only one who could bear my sin and bear yours and bear everybody's. He was the perfect sacrifice. He never took a swing. He never changed his posture toward people. He never lashed out. He never allowed this emotionally charged situation to get the best of him. Instead, he met people in their brokenness. He reached out. He healed. 
He trusted in the will of his Father. He extended grace. That's what God's calling us to do. I don't know where you are on your journey, on your roadmap. But I want to challenge you today. Don't let an emotionally charged situation rule your life. Don't let emotions guide you. Let your faith guide you. Let what the Word of God says guide you. And I promise you, if you do that, something good will come of it every time. Amen? Let's pray today. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.